Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. Our primary text is going to be verses 12 through chapter 2 of 20, but I don't want you to get too concerned because the majority of the sermon is found out of the very first verse uh, that we're going to be going over. A lot of it we're going to be highlighting. Uh, remember, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophet books. So they're called minor because of the amount of content within them, not the importance of the content. You'll find Habakkuk toward the end of the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, just flip back five uh, books and you'll find Habakkuk right there. We started this short series last week with the primary focus of the book with the prophet approaching God with a question. And that question was found in verse 2 of chapter 1. How long, O Yahweh, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence and yet you do not save. And so Habakkuk, he approached God in confidence and he approached God with the questions, right? Lord, I'm calling out and yet you do not hear and you will not save. How long will this take place? We learned last week that God did indeed respond to Habakkuk, his response was, listen, I'm doing something in your days that you wouldn't believe even if it were recounted to you. I'm raising up the Babylonians and the Babylonians are going to be used to bring a judgment upon the people of Judah. Why? Because the people of Judah, along with the people of Israel, God's people, they had broke their covenant with God. And after breaking their covenant with God, all of the curses that came along with that were going to come true. Uh, friends, I made the assertion last week that I believe judgment is coming upon our nation and world. And, and far too long, what's happened is we've thumbed our noses at God and his word, and we expect God to, to, con to continue to bless our disobedience. God is not going to continue to bless disobedience. In fact, there's going to come a time that we ourselves as a nation and as a world are going to face judgment. And in order to prepare for that judgment, uh, I closed with the steps to take, repent of our own sin, renew our devotion to God's word and God's will. Re-engage the mission that Jesus Christ has left the church here for. We have a mission and we have to get involved in that. And finally, to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. This morning, I want us to open our minds to the truth of God's word. I want us to clearly understand what he's calling for us to grasp, and, and I want us to be willing to, to go on a journey as we continue this journey with Habakkuk, because God's answer for Habakkuk only led to more confusion. It only led to more doubt, and maybe not doubt, it led to more questioning of God. Uh, God had promised destruction through the hands of a foreign nation, and Yahweh's response was one that, that left Habakkuk confused. And, and how about you this morning? Have you been there? Have you taken a question or a concern or, or something that's taking place in the world, and have you offered that up to the Lord? And, and perhaps the Lord has answered that through his word, or he's answered it through actions that you see taking place uh, around you. Perhaps the Lord hasn't answered a prayer that you keep offering up to him and it only leads uh, to more and more questions uh, there's a deep question burning in your soul one in which you've not heard from god right lord i know you've guaranteed that we're not going to live forever but did you have to take the one that we're not going to live forever but did you have to take the one i love lord i know that my health is not something that's guaranteed but does heart disease and cancer have to come 
Oh, Lord, I, I haven't made the best health decisions, but, but, but why do I have to go through these things? Lord, I, I, have, I know that you've given humanity free will, but does free will have to be used for the things that it's used for? Do we have to see news stories like we see? Lord, I have questions, and the answers that I'm getting are, are not getting me anywhere. They're only leading to, to more questions. Uh, have you ever been there? Has that been a struggle in your life? And, and maybe this morning I think we can learn. And remember, I said we're primarily going to be learning from one verse. That we can learn from Habakkuk about what takes place when you have a crisis of faith. Right? Because Habakkuk does a few things in our text this morning that I think that we can apply to our lives as we take question after question to the Lord. And, and the first thing that Habakkuk does is this. Habakkuk started with what he knew to be true about Yahweh. He started with what he knew to be true about Yahweh. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Yahweh, have placed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to reprove. Before offering up his second question to God, Habakkuk starts with the realities of what he knows to be true about God. And the first thing he says about God is this. He says, Yahweh, you are eternal. You're eternal. Meaning that he's the self-existent one. Yahweh has no beginning. Yahweh has no end. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The self-existent one was there in the beginning, God. He spoke all things into existence. And, and not only was he there in the beginning, he will be there when humanity ceases to exist. And this reality was one that Habakkuk started with. When the world as we know it comes to an end, God will be there for those who have put Christ on as Lord, the Bible declares. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. For Habakkuk, his starting point was the eternal nature of God. Right? He looked around him and he understood, God, you're sending these Babylonians. These Babylonians and their gods are not going to last forever. You are eternal. How can this fact help us in the questions that we take before God all the time? How can it help us? Are you struggling with the uncertainty of the world? God is eternal. Are you fearful of the next pandemic? God is eternal. Are there questions about your health or the health of someone that you love? God is eternal. Does it seem as though evil is winning the day? God is eternal. Man, what a great statement of faith that he has right here from the very beginning of his struggle. God was the beginning of what we know to be history. God's presently walking through with us through whatever struggle that we're facing. We know that he'll be there tomorrow. How does that truth help us today? It should change, every way, change the way we look at every struggle. See, not only is Yahweh eternal, he also says Yahweh is my God. He's my God. Uh, the word Yahweh comes from the Hebrew verb to, that means to be. And going all the way back to the book of Exodus, when, when Moses was approached by God at the burning bush and he asked, well, who should I say sent me when he's going back to the people? Look at what the Bible says. Then, then, then Moses said to God, behold, I'm about to come to the sons of Israel. And I will say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. 
And they will say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Habakkuk, when he declares Yahweh, Yahweh, he's saying the I am is my God. He's my God. I'm making the declaration right now that I'm placing my lot with you, God, with you, Yahweh. You're my God. For the person living in Judah at this moment, and for those that were aware of the names of Yahweh used in the Old Testament, this is a big deal what he says next. He says he's my God. And the word that he uses there is the word Elohim. And it's used 2,500 times in the Old Testament. And that word is in reference, really, for the Jewish mindset to the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. In Psalm 68, it says, I underlined in, on the screen every time the word Elohim is used there for God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to Elohim. To him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times, behold, he gives forth his voice, a voice that is strong. Ascribe strength to Elohim. His majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O Elohim, you are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and might to the people. Blessed be Elohim. Additionally, when they heard this word, they understood what was taking place going all the way back to Abraham. And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God begins to make this covenant relationship with Abraham. And he tells Abraham in verse 3 that through his seed, the entire world would be blessed. And then he goes on in chapter 15, and he promises again to Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed, it says, in verse 6 of chapter 15, and God credited him as righteousness. And then in chapter 17, he was told Abraham to walk blameless before him so that he would establish his covenant with Abraham, his covenant promise that God would give him a son and that his descendants would multiply exceedingly. Abraham would father many nations. Nations and kings would come through him. His covenant would be an everlasting one. And God would give him descendants uh, and his descendants, all the land of Canaan, uh, as an everlasting possession. And he says, I will be their Elohim. I'll be their covenant God. See, the Jews put such hope in this. The people that worshipped uh, in the Old Testament, they put such hope in this that they believed that God would act on their behalf in order to keep the covenant promise. And so when Habakkuk says, my God, Yahweh, you are my Elohim, what he's saying is, God, I, I know. I, I know that you're going to keep your covenant. I know that you're going to keep your word. And in this moment of distress, he's leaning into that covenant relationship that he has made and the people of Israel had made with God. Additionally, Habakkuk says this about God. He says, he's holy. He's holy. How does that change the way we face every struggle? How does that reality change the way that we focus in on God, knowing that there is no sin in him and that he's going to keep his word? Habakkuk's confession of faith would carry him through the current struggle. God, the self-existent creator of the universe, was holy, and he was in fact his God. And this was important because of what he declares next about Yahweh. Right? Friends, have we made this declaration about God? God the Father, the God of the Bible. Have we declared our faith through Jesus Christ that God is indeed God? He's our God. He's our God. And so with that being the case, why would we make anything else our functional God if we have? Our health is one day going to fail. 
One day someone else will finish spending our retirement account if, if we meet that day. One day someone else is going to change the carpet in your home that you've worked so hard to provide for. One day your job is going to be taken away from you. But the one thing that will never be taken away from you is your confession of faith in Jesus Christ that makes God the Father your God. Is he your God? Joshua declared, If it is evil in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which are beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, I think it's time. I think it's time for us as a church to unapologetically declare that God is our God. And everything that goes along with that, Habakkuk declared that the eternal God of heaven was his God. And there's one more thing he says about Yahweh that's so key in his struggle of uncertainty. He says, Yahweh is faithful. He's faithful. He says, you, O Yahweh, have placed them to judge, speaking of the Babylonians, and you, O Rock, have established them to reprove. Lord, I know you're going to send the Babylonians to judge. Lord, I know who they are and what they're going to do. Lord, I'm aware uh, uh, when I look around our nation that we need this. Lord, here is what else I know. Did you see what he said there in the verse? He said, we will not die. We will not die. Now, now this goes back to that covenant promise with Abraham. Right? He knew that God had made a promise to Abraham. This goes back to what God declared to Abraham when he showed up to Abraham one night after Isaac was born. And he says, Abraham... I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him to a hill that I show you, and I want you to sacrifice him on that hill. And so Abraham, he woke up the next morning, you see, he saddled the donkey, got a few servants, they went on their way, and when they saw the hill, Abraham looked at his servants, and look what he declared. Stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there and worship. Go over there, and we will worship, and we will return to you. You see, the people of Israel knew that God was a covenant-keeping God and that he was indeed faithful. And if God promised Abraham that through Isaac the world would be blessed, through the seed that comes after him, then the person of, that wrote the book of Hebrews was correct, right? In verse 19 of chapter 11, speaking of Abraham, he said, He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which figuratively speaking he also received him back. And so not only was the God the covenant-keeping God of Abraham, he was the covenant-keeping God of what he promised David. David was of the tribe of Judah. And it was said that the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh would come, speaking of Christ. And, and when David wanted to build a house for Yahweh, Yahweh came to him through the prophet Nathan and said, No, it's me that's going to build a house for you. And look at what Yahweh says about that house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up one of your seed after you who will come forth from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We know Solomon's kingdom wasn't established forever. So who is he speaking of? He was speaking of the coming Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so Habakkuk knew through those promises that no matter what the Babylonians were going to come in and do, that they would not die. God was going to keep his word. He was indeed faithful. He was indeed faithful. And in that moment of great uncertainty, Habakkuk turned to, to the faithfulness of Yahweh. I believe that we can learn from this moment. 
I believe we can. Friends, how does knowing God as eternal change the way we relate to the world? How does declaring God as our God change the way struggles enter into our lives? And more importantly, how does the fact of knowing that God is faithful help us endure everything? Because the Bible declares a few things that I think we need to live in faith upon, and we need to start declaring them more often, and our faith needs to meet the the rubber of our shoes, needs to meet the road of life with our faith. We need to start trusting what God says. Are there health concerns? Are we afraid of persecution that one day may take our life? Well, what does God's word declare? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. John chapter 6, verse 40. Heart disease may win the temporary battle against the flesh, but not against the soul. Jesus is faithful. He'll raise us up on the last day. Cancer may win the temporary battle against the flesh, but not against the soul. Jesus is faithful. He will raise us up on the last day. Tyrants may win the battle of the flesh when they come in and take over a nation, but Jesus is faithful. He will raise us up on the last day. Man, how does that change? our walk how should it change our walk and maybe you're not so much worried about those things and, and we just need to really trust in God to understand the promise of that Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter many are familiar with verse 1 it's quoted often faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen you know, we love the focus of the examples that are early on in that chapter. Uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Moses, Abraham, the list goes on. But we stop short of what I think might be the most important section of that chapter. And it's, it's found in verses 35 through 39 that speaks of some unnamed Old Testament saints. And listen to what it says about them. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection and others experience mockings and floggings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in desolate places and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to declare that that we, as followers of Christ, have received the promise in Jesus Christ. The only thing they had was their faith to know that God was faithful and that he would one day send the Messiah into the world. Friends, we should have the same faith to know that no matter what takes place in this world, one day Jesus is going to part the sky. And he's going to take the church to be with him forever. So when evil seems like it's winning the day, we understand that God has already won the war through Christ. He's faithful. We trust him. There's another reminder we need, we need this morning, and it's about the faithfulness of God, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. I mean, let the truth of that verse sink in. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul declares that no temptation, no temptation will be, should be able to overtake you. That's not common to man. That God, he's faithful. 
There is possibly no greater example of this when we think about this than going back to the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. A lot of people talk about Joseph as being a man who never sinned, but, but I think Joseph experienced a lot of temptation. I really did. I think he experienced temptation and pride. When he had the dream about his brothers and his mother and father bowing down before him, I mean, he just confidently stated what was going to take place. And, and imagine the moment when his brothers actually were before him, as you read the book of Genesis, and they were bowing down before him. Imagine the temptation for Joseph to chuckle and say, Hey, guys, it's me. I told you. There was that moment of pride. When he was tempted in purity, he, he was a good-looking young man taken prisoner and captive in Potiphar's house. house. Potiphar's wife took notice of him. She wanted to sleep with him, but he refused. He fled the situation uh, and refusing to sin against Yahweh and against his master. And, and because of that, he was thrown into prison. How much easier would it have been for him to just give in to that temptation? Right? But there's no temptation that's not common. Uh, uncommon to man. When he was tempted in patience, after being placed in prison for a crime he didn't commit, the baker and the cupbearer had a dream and they came to Joseph and, and he foretold what the dreams meant. And the, the cupbearer would be restored to the king and the baker's head would be lifted off from him. And, and when the baker went back to the presence of Pharaoh, the king, he said, remember me when you get there. And the Bible declares it took two years. At that point, can you see the temptation for Joseph just to give up? Lord, I've been faithful. I've been trusting you, yet I'm forgotten again. He would have been tempted with payback when his father was dead, his brothers were afraid, and when we know Joseph ultimately declared that his, to his brothers that Yahweh meant what they did for evil for good. And we'll never know if Joseph had one of those moments after his father died. You know, I'll take care of their families, but these guys are going to suffer a little bit. Maybe I'm reading some of the things that I might have been tempted into Joseph's life. But the fact of the matter is, is no matter what temptation we put in life, the Bible is true and certain. And it says there's no temptation that you've ever endured or ever will endure that's not common to man. But God is faithful. And when it comes about, he'll provide a way for you to stand up in it. And you know the way he provides? He provides it through his word and he provides it through his people as we become accountable to each other. God's faithful. But what happens when you fall? God is faithful. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, don't, under, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should go out and sin that grace may increase. We know what God's word says in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. By no means we've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We've been baptized into Christ, and being baptized into Christ, we've, into his death, he was resurrected from the grave, and as we resurrect in our baptism, we resurrect to a newness of life. Even with that, the fact is, is that we're going to sin. And when we do, we have a Father in heaven who will forgive it. Friends, do we believe that? Do we believe that to be the case? Because far too often, I feel like when we find ourselves giving into that temptation that we can't overcome if we stand with Christ, what happens next is that we then begin to live in the guilt of our sin. And that guilt is heaped up on upon us by maybe loved ones who have the ear of Satan and they're speaking uh, these words. Well, why would you do something like that to someone you claim to love? Or, or, or Satan himself, how could you dare think you could worship God after you've done such a thing? How can you can, can, uh, claim to worship him and come back to him with that same sin over? Over 
and over and over again. See, friends, the struggles are real and the doubts can mount up, but God is faithful. He's faithful. And his word declares that if we are faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. Truth is, in our legalistic nature at times, we're uncomfortable with verses like that. But we never lean into them to take them for granted. So what's your struggle this morning? Start the same place Habakkuk did. Start with what you know to be true about God. That's what he did, but then he moves on because his struggle is not over. Look at verse 13. He says, your eyes are too pure to see evil, and you cannot look on trouble. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than they? I love that verse right there, right? Doesn't that speak to us sometimes? Don't we look around at the world and see somebody succeeding and like, oh, Lord, why, why are you blessing him when he mistreats his wife? He doesn't do this for his kids and he's just clearly stealing and getting where he's at. Why, why are you blessing him and I'm working so hard? Or, or Lord, why are you blessing her with a, with a great family and a great home and, and, and because she's been this and she's done that? Now, this is what Habakkuk's doing, right? Lord, I know we've been sinful, but how in the world can you use these sinful people to, to judge us? And from verse 13, Habakkuk asked the Lord why he's allowing them to be treated like fish, like the creeping things of the earth. He says the Babylonians gather them as a fisherman catches, gathers his catch. And one commentary I read, you know, it talks about a hook. And one commentary I read, it said that the, literally the Babylonians, when they would take people captive, would take a hook and a rope, and they would take the, uh, the rope through the lips of the people they were uh, taking captive, and then they would connect them on that chain by taking that same hook and putting it through the lips of people, and they would lead them away into captivity like that. So when Habakkuk talks about a hook, there was something he knew that was coming. Yahweh, why will you continually allow them to empty their nets and capture nation after nation? Uh, God, this is what I know about you. You are holy. You hate sin. You are eternal. You are my God. You are faithful. You cannot look upon evil. If there's still a question in your soul, after starting with what you know to be true about God, do what Habakkuk does next. See, the second thing he did was Habakkuk waited upon Yahweh to answer. He waited on him to answer. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the fortification. And I will watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may respond when I am reproved. Habakkuk was sure that God would respond to him. So he placed himself in a position to hear from Yahweh. And he waited upon Yahweh's answer. Our problem is not that we don't get answers from God. Our, our problem is that we often don't get answers when we think we need the answers. So uh, let's place ourselves with that, uh, with what we already know, with God being eternal and being our God, and he is faithful. Now, can you think back in your life when you were waiting on an answer, when you were praying for something, and God continued to delay the answer? Now, now, at that point, you were probably going through misery. God, why aren't you answering the prayer for healing? God, why aren't you answering the prayer for a child? God, why aren't you answering the prayer for a job? God, why aren't you answering this? And, and now you have this advantage of knowing that God is eternal, that he's your God, and that he's faithful, that you can look back and you can see why God didn't give you what you wanted before, and it was a great blessing for you. Habakkuk is in that point right now. And we need this kind of faith today. 
right? He, he places himself in that position to hear from God. And I love what he declared at the end of that verse. I'm going to keep watch. I'm going to wait upon the Lord's answer. And I'm going to prepare myself for how I can respond when I am reproved. All right, Lord, here's my question. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to wait for your answer. And here's how I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait in faith because when you reprove me, when you give me the answer, I'm going to put myself in a position to be obedient to you. Some have said about that verse right there that what Habakkuk was saying is, well, when the Lord reminds me of how dumb I am, I'm going to apologize. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe what he's saying here is that he has the kind of faith that when God answers, he's going to submit. So he waited for, uh, so he started with what he knew about Yahweh and he waited for Yahweh to answer. And then the last point, Habakkuk committed his way to Yahweh. I know the bulletin has it worded differently. I changed it this morning as I was going over everything. Verse 2. Then Yahweh answered me and said, Write down the vision and write it on tablets distinctly, that the one who reads it may run. When I first read this, I thought that the one who reads this might try to get out of the judgment, might try to run away, but the truth is that's not what it means at all. Why would they run? You can't escape God's judgment. You cannot escape what he's going to bring about. Then through a little bit of study, I learned that, that this can only be the idea that the one who reads what Habakkuk would write would then begin to go proclaim the truth of what they read. Right? And so this is what Habakkuk does. We know this is what he does, did because we're studying it today. And so look at verses 2, uh, 3, and then the beginning of verse 4. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It pants toward its end, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, and it will not delay. And verse 4 makes two very powerful statements. And, and the first statement is this. There will be judgment. There will be judgment. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. And Yahweh is declaring this. Listen, Habakkuk, I, I know about the people of Babylon, and I know about the people of Judah, and judgment's coming for both. Right? You may think that you're more holy than them, but, but you're sinful as well. And, and then in verses 5 through 20, Habakkuk is given a series of five woes for the people of Babylon, and really for everyone. The first woe is a taunting proverb uh, against those who are um, seizing others by force. And the word used about the Babylonians is that their desire for conquest is like the desire of Sheol or Hades for death. It's never fulfilled. And therefore, they will ultimately become a laughingstock of those who they will soon conquer. The second woe is connected with their covetousness. Uh, They're going to plot out the ruin of people uh, and and misuse them, and they indeed were sinning against their own soul by doing so. The third woe is connected with their use of violence and injustice to establish their kingdom. It may seem as though evil would win the day, but the earth would be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh. The the fourth woe was about enticing neighbors to drink and, and a drinking that would ultimately lead to immorality. And Yahweh declared that they were leading their neighbors into drunkenness to seek to look upon their nakedness, when in fact what would happen to them is that in their own drunkenness, their neighbors would look on their nakedness. And, and we know from the book of Daniel that this would ultimately be fulfilled when the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon as the king was throwing a drunken immorality fest. The fifth woe was against their reliance upon idols. 
They were useless. They were silent pieces of metal and wood. There was no breath in them at all. And Yahweh is in his holy temple. And like those idols that are silent, one day the whole earth will be silenced before Yahweh. These were the judgments that were coming upon them. As Habakkuk declared, Lord, how can you let an unholy nation of heathens judge us? The Lord responds, don't compare yourself to them. Don't. I'm judging you for their sin, and I will judge them for their sin. I am eternal. I am God. I am faithful. Yahweh indeed judged Judah in 586 B.C. when they were taken captive by Babylon. In 530 B.C., Babylon was wiped off the face of the earth by the Mede and the Persian Empire. So there will be judgment. Statement two, the righteous will live by faith. Look at the second part of verse four. But the righteous will live by his faith. Right? The second part of this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. Twice it is quoted connected with salvation, and one time it is quoted connected with faithful living. It's connected with salvation in Romans 1, 16 and 17, and Galatians 3, verse 11. And in Hebrews 10, 38, it's connected with faithfulness. And it, it declares that the one who, who has faith in God will, will live by that faith, and they will not draw back from that faith because uh, that would be of no pleasure before God. So how does this fit the context of Habakkuk? He says, Lord, I have questions. I have questions. Why don't you hear? Why don't you save? And God says, well, I am doing something. You'll see. Lord, I still have questions. How can you use this godless nation to bring judgment? And God answers, don't worry. Uh, they too will be judged for their sin. Habakkuk, here's what you need to understand. The righteous will live by faith, meaning the righteous will live in the faithfulness of what they say they believe. And for the people of Israel, for the people of Judah at this time, God was declaring through the prophet, trust me, rely upon me, stay faithful to me, because I am eternal, I am your God, and I am faithful. God would bring judgment upon the people of Judah. They would be carried into captivity. They would repent and be restored to their land. God would fulfill his promise to Abraham and to David. Habakkuk, already, you already know this. Now here's what you've got to do. Trust me. Trust me. So friends, what does that say for us today? What does that say for us today? How does the one who has their faith in Christ, how should we live? We should live in faith. Faith meaning faithfulness. And as we come to God's word, we should put ourselves in a position like Habakkuk did way back then. He said, I'm going to stand on my post. I'm going to watch. I'm going to wait to hear. And when I hear from the Lord, I'm going to see how I can respond when I'm reproved. When God speaks to me, I'm going to put myself in a position to live by faith. And that's what that's for. So these are the steps that we should take when we're living in uncertain times. Start with what we know to be true about God. Wait to hear from God and his answer and commit our ways to him. Friends, are we there? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the great opportunity we've had to go through it. We thank you for the example that we have from Habakkuk and his faith. And we ask, Lord, as we look around our own world with the uncertainty that lies in it, whether that be uncertainty from health issues that we may be enduring, from relationship issues that are taking place, from fear about what's going on in the world, Lord, that we just start with what we know to be true about you. You're eternal, you're our God, and you're faithful. That, that fact alone can carry us through so much. 
That fact alone can put us in a position to grow and to trust you in times of uncertainty. So, Lord, help that to be true of each of us that call Christ to be the Lord of our lives. And as we wait upon your answer, we faithfully follow after Christ. Lord, we pray these things in your Son's most holy name. Amen. There's one more aspect about that, and and it really is connected to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and Galatians 3, verse 11. That meaning the righteous will live by faith in order to enter the righteousness that will put us in a position to be where Habakkuk is speaking about, to be where we're talking about when Jesus returns. That we have to understand that no system of law is going to put us in that position. That we know that Jesus lived for us, died for us, resurrected from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. So therefore we put our faith in him. We confess him to be the Lord of our lives. We repent of sin and turn toward him, and we submit to Christian baptism. That's the step of faith that gets us into that right relationship with God, from which we then begin to live out that faithfulness journey. If you've not taken that step today, I ask you to to do so as we stand and sing our song of invitation. Let's stand together.